0: The other day I was listening to the radio, a Christian music station, while driving in the car, and heard the lyrics of a song I had never heard, but the idea was pretty good. It intrigued me. This person had a pretty good imagination. It was about the day, you may know the song, I only heard it once, and I just caught a little bit, so I'm not going to be able to tell you a whole lot about the song. But so the idea was that uh, this person was beholding uh, the crucifixion of Christ. And they looked up, and they saw rain, but there were no rain clouds. And the source of the rain was that there were 10,000 angels surrounding the crucifixion, and they were all bowing their heads and weeping, and the tears were the rain. Well, that's pretty good imagination. That's kind of like mine kind of function. So I I like that. It's an interesting thought. Of course, I don't know if angels can cry. There's another thought for you too. Throwing your mind, but it does raise a good question, which I want to deal with this morning. Where were the angels when Jesus died on the cross? Have you ever thought about that? Where were the angels? I have come to associate the angels with God, and I associate the angels with Jesus Christ while He was on this earth. They, they just seem to go together. The angels were present to announce the birth of Christ to Mary and Joseph. The angels were there when he was born, and they announced that to the shepherds. Then after his baptism, and he was tempted of the devil in the wilderness, an angel comes to him there and strengthens him. Then during his ministry, there were times when he was threatened. And uh, it just says, and he escaped. And you wonder why or how did he do that? They were getting ready to throw stones at him, all of a sudden he just gets away. He doesn't say angels provided him safety, but I kind of believe they did. So, all during his life, I think angels were ministering to Christ, although we're not told about this. And yet, he does kind of refer to this when he talks to Nathaniel. When Nathaniel comes to him to become a disciple, remember what Jesus says to Nathaniel in John chapter 1, verse 51? It's kind of interesting. And Jesus said to Nathaniel, Hereafter, Nathaniel, I guess Nathaniel was the only one that was allowed to do this. The other disciples couldn't do this. This was a promise made to Nathaniel, which we never again hear about. But he said, you will be able to see heaven open. And you will see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And so I guess, you know, we don't have a book of Nathaniel. But he said, you'll be able to see the angels coming and going ministering to me while you follow me as a disciple. It would be interesting to talk to Nathaniel, would it not? Of the many times he saw the angels come and go in the life of Jesus Christ. And then when Christ was in the garden prior to the crucifixion, and he knelt down and followed, Let this cup pass from me. And he prayed these three times, and he was under such a strain that the Bible says God sent an angel to strengthen him and help him recover from the ordeal of his prayer in the garden. Then at the resurrection, it were, there were angels there who first announced to the, arrived, those who arrived at the tomb that Jesus Christ had been resurrected. And then at the ascension, when the disciples were all standing around, angels were there and saw Christ go back to heaven. And the Bible says when Jesus comes again the second time, he will bring with him his angels. So he had angels associated with the whole life and ministry of Christ, but the Bible silent about where were the angels when he was crucified. The most important event of his whole life, I would assume, and where were they? They were his birth, and his resurrection, and his ascension, and his coming again, but well, what about the crucifixion? As Jesus was leaving the garden, after the angel had strengthened him, of course the mob led by Judas comes to arrest Christ and lead him to trial, which would eventually lead to his crucifixion. Where did that angel go? Did he leave? He had just strengthened him? From the angels' viewpoint, I would assume they were standing around and they would, as in the past, have the opportunity to spare Christ again. Here came a mob against him. It wasn't the first time. And so I would assume some angels said, well, boy, it's about time for us to uh, profess one of our escapes again. But we must wait for orders from headquarters. Either the father or the son must request it. Angels never act on their own. They just do whatever they're told. But there were no orders from headquarters. Now, my imagination takes over like that old songwriter and makes me think, the angels scratched their head. What's going on here? I understand this. We must be called into action. This is not a good thing. Christ is in danger. This mob is angry. Something needs to be done to spare Christ. But nothing happened. I think the angels, I understand this, as they watched this. My imagination now. And I think Peter thought about the same thing that the angels did. Something had to be done. And you know what Peter did? Uh, Peter carried a sword. We don't know, know this, but he pulled out his sword and he, uh, I think he intends to cut the guy's head off. But pay for, you know, Peter's not too good at this. So he misses the whole head, but he gets the ear and slices it off. And you remember the story. Look at Matthew 26, verse fifty. Matthew 26, verse 50. And Jesus uh, said to Judas, now, Friend, why have you come? And they came and they laid hands on Jesus and they took him. And I would imagine the angels say, Anytime now, boys, we're going to be called. We're going to be called to spare him. But nothing happened. So Peter says, I'm going to do it. One of them, that's Peter, we learn this from another gospel. And behold, one of them, which was with Jesus, stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck a servant of the high priest. Probably he was, he was aiming at the high priest. I don't know. And he smote off his ear. And Jesus said, Put up thy sword. For all that take the sword shall pick with the sword. In other words, he said, If, you, if you're going to put that sword up, all of the disciples are going to get killed. They're going to pull their swords because they got an army here. And they're going to kill you all. Now it's 53. And that's what Jesus says. Do you not know that I can pray to the Father, and He will at this moment send me more than 12 legions of angels? That's 72,000. That's 72,000. If I just snap my finger, I can have here in this garden 72,000 mighty warrior angels. And the book of Second Kings, don't look this one up, but in chapter 19, you'll remember this later on, Second Kings chapter 19. One angel, just one angel, slaughtered 185,000 Assyrian soldiers by himself. One. And Jesus said, I can bring down 72,000. Well, I've got a calculator out. I've 72,000 times uh, 185,000, and my calculator would not good for it. It stopped on me. I think it's over 300 million. And Jesus says, no problem, Peter. If I wanted to be saved from the harm, I have an army at my command. And that army is such mighty army, they could destroy the whole nation of Israel. Like that. No problem, Peter. Put it up. But he also says, no angels are going to be called. I could do it. But they're not going to be called. And were there 72,000 angels surrounding that scene, ready to go to battle? I don't know. My imagination says, yeah, at least 72,000. Stand around. That's a lot of angels with their swords drawn ready for the command. But it wasn't given. It wasn't given. Jesus then performs his last miracle. He reaches down. I guess the guy ear was completely cut up. He may just hanging in there. I don't know. But anyway, he puts it back on his head. The bleeding all stops. And the guy's made well. The last miracle besides the resurrection. The last healing miracle that Jesus performs. But Jesus without the angels is not powerless. For as he speaks, in one other version of, in the book of Luke, the uh, version of John, as he speaks to them, asking, who do you want? Everybody is knocked to the ground just by his voice. And they all are rendered helpless on the ground. They're all laying on the ground and have come to arrest him, his enemies, including Judas. And that shows you the power that he had without the angels. He could have kept them on the ground just by his word. But they get back up And they continue their efforts to arrest him, which they do. And in verse 54, Jesus says to Peter, How can this scriptures be fulfilled if I call in the 72,000 angels or if I'm rescued? How can the scripture be fulfilled? What must be, must be. He's saying, I must go to Calvary. He didn't understand that. I, in my imagination, I don't believe the angels understood that either. So I think maybe the angels say, he'll call us later on. Maybe there's there's going to come a time in this ordeal. Tonight, maybe sometime he'll call us to come defend and deliver him. Or tomorrow, the ready, boys, he's going to call us. Now, that's my imagination. Because in the way of the thinking of the angels of God, it has always been experienced in the past. God has always won. The enemy had never, never, never been allowed to defeat God. Never. The wicked always ended up having to suffer. It was always the case. The enemies of God had always been defeated, without one exception. This was true even before there was an earth and there was man, there were just angels. And you remember the story of Lucifer? He rebelled against God. He was an angel. Convinced one third of the other angels to join him, and they rebelled against God. And even then, these other angels said, Yeah, and God won. God put them all out of heaven. Of course, I think. A lot of other things were done to them to bring about destruction and devastation in their lives. The angels, as God threw them out, have suffered. I don't know what all they have suffered is lost, but they're not the same anymore. They'll have the power they used to have, or the glory, or the beauty, or the joy. They lost many things besides just being put out of heaven. But the angels said, yeah, we saw that. We saw God win. We saw, listen, for, lose." And so we believe that God's justice always will reign. God's justice will always give him the victory. God's justice will give them exactly what they deserve. They can't mistreat Christ and get away with it. It cannot happen. It cannot. It's never happened in the past. And that's all the angels had to go on was the past. The case was the same in the flood. God won. There were times even when God would send the angels to bring about destruction and judgment upon those who were wicked, as in the story of Sodom. And then the story of the deliverance of the people of Israel, from, Israel I mean from Egypt when the death angel was sent to kill all the firstborn as one of the plagues upon Pharaoh. God had never lost. And here was God. Come to earth. But the angel said, no way. Can the wicked prevail over goodness? There's no way. God always wins in the end. That's the way He had always been as far as the angels were concerned. There was no power, including that of Lucifer, that had ever been able to overcome the justice of God when he wanted to strike. The angels had been created long before you and I were, long before Adam and Eve, before there was even an earth. They watched God make the earth. The angels know more about God as a person than you and I know. They have been in his presence since their existence. They could teach us a lot about God, but there were some things about God that he never told them. There were things about God that they did not know. They knew all about its power. They've seen that. They knew all about His wisdom. All about its goodness. All about His holiness. They knew about that. They knew one thing about God's love. Only one. And that, that he was a great provider. That's normally the way we want to think about God's love. Is, is give me this and give me that. It's, it's a give me love. I have a need. I have a want. Give it to me, God. And so if God gives it to us, he says, God, so God loves me. He gives it to me. If you love me, you will give it to me. And so the angels knew that aspect, that part, that side of the love of God. The provision side. It's about the only side a lot of us want. As long as we get what we want, He loves me. And when I don't, we question His love. But there were things about God's love they didn't know. And He never told them. Because you have to show it, you don't tell it. I think we'll have to go to heaven to find out just how well off the angels had it. And just how much God had given them. It was a surprise to going to heaven to see how much the angels had been given by God down through the ages since their creation. Blessings that you and I cannot comprehend. When they watched what God did after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they learned a new aspect about the love of God. When God said, if you eat the fruit thereof, you shall die. They expected, just like with the angels the sinned, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, that's that, that, you're dead. But that didn't happen. And the angels scratched their head. Hey, that's not the way he treated our fallen angels. Our brethren weren't treated like that. What is this? And then they learned that God has patience. They'd never seen that before. Hmm. And then God had mercy. They'd never seen that before. Had no, he had no mercy on the angels, that fell. He had no patience with them. And so now God is teaching the angels something. He's teaching the angels about his love. There is more to his love than they thought there was. He now has patience, and he now has mercy upon those who are his enemies. Adam and Eve turned on God, and their descendants turned against God. So God has shown the fallen angels that he had a greater love than they knew about. And they were kind of surprised. But there was something about God's love that he had yet to teach them. They didn't understand. I say this because I, I think it's what the Scriptures teach. I don't believe the angels knew about the crucifixion. Not really. Had no concept of it. Not really. As the disciples did not. As the prophets who gave it did not. Everybody was scratching their head, what is God talking about? We don't stand. First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. Verse nine through twelve. He's talking here to the Christians. Don't know what church he's speaking of here, but anyway, he's talking here about the Christians. And he says to them in verse 9, you have received the end of your faith. That is, you have received what your faith is supposed to bring you. You've gotten the end result. And that has been, of course, salvation of your souls. That's the purpose of our faith. We exercise our faith and belief in Christ as Savior and Lord. And that belief results in our gaining the end desire, and that is the salvation of our souls. So he says you have received the salvation of your souls through your faith. He talks about this salvation, she received. He says, this salvation, the prophets, they told us about it, but they didn't understand their own prophecies. And he says, the prophets themselves have inquired, God explained this to us. when he talked about the suffering Messiah, as in Isaiah 53, and other places. We don't understand this. And so the prophets inquired and searched diligently to try to understand what these scriptures they prophesied meant. They prophesied, now notice, they were prophesying about the grace of God. Angels never heard of that. Never, even the prophets couldn't figure out this aspect of God's love, grace, that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of the time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ. These are always the puzzling statements of the Old Testament, those that denoted the suffering of God's servant. It didn't make sense. Because you see, everybody thought like the angels. God never loses. God always wins. You never to put God down. The ungodly don't make the godly desire suffer. They don't make God suffer. No way! And yet God talks about the suffering servant of His. And He says, of course, the sufferings of Christ... But the glory that should come thereafter. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they immense of the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you, with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven. And the last part of the statement now. He said, we've been preaching about this to you. We've been explaining to you the grace of God. We've been preaching to you about the love of God. And this aspect of salvation. We understand. It's no longer a mystery, Peter says to us. We now can tell you about it. We can now explain it to you. But he says, these sufferings of Christ, this salvation is something the angels desire to investigate. What's this? It's something the angels scratch their head about and desire to look at, to examine, and to investigate. That is, the salvation of man's souls puzzles them. The salvation that offers them because of God's grace. A sign of love that they did not know God had. That puzzles them. And a salvation that would require the sufferings of Jesus Christ to obtain. That puzzles them and amazes them. But it does teach them a lesson that they could not learn the other way. It teaches them a lesson about God's love. And they learn it's God's plan for eternity. Now keep in mind, folks... What is of special interest to them is that it's going to reverse orders. Right now, the angels in creation order are above man. They're higher than us in knowledge, beauty, power, excellence. And yet, the Bible says those saved by grace through Christ are going to be elevated above the angels in power, and glory, and blessing, and riches as the bride of Christ. They're going to be demoted, and we're going to be promoted. And we shall exceed the angels. And we shall even sit in judgment on the bad angels. Can you believe that? And they scratched their head. How on earth? Why? How can we explain all this going on? And it all relates to the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross. Where were the angels when Jesus died? Where were the angels when Jesus was crucified? My imagination, like the song says so they were surrounding the throne with 72,000 maybe or more. And what were they doing? They gasped. Oh, when they saw the nails driven to the hand. He didn't call us. He didn't call us. And he's allowing himself to be killed. And I imagine, I can write a song on this. They looked at each other and shook their heads. Not tears, but understanding. I don't stand. What's going on? Christ is suffering. I imagine they started scratching their head when they saw him arrested, and they weren't called. And then they saw him whipped and flogged, and man, this! And yeah, keep in mind, folks: angels love God; they love Him. And you wouldn't want anybody you love to be hurt. Never before had their God been hurt. Never. An angel with such might and strength to destroy thousands wouldn't mind doing that if. Any way God would be hurt. And this Jesus Christ was God. They had been with Him. He was their Creator. And they had been with Him all eternity so far in heaven before He came down to earth. They knew Him. He was no stranger. He was their God. And then when they saw Him flogged, and went, what's going on? What would you do you as an angel? And then they saw men come up and punch Him in the face. And I could say, let us go. Let us go. And we'll kill those men. Never had God been treated like and they spit on him. And then they buried a crown of thorns over his head. And the angels, man, let us go. Couldn't get commands from headquarters. No. And then they puzzled they saw the father turn their back, his back on the Son, and that's when they really guessed. That's my imagination, people. And they stood there in wonder with their swords drawn, and no command to charge. And said, We don't understand. And then they heard him say it's finished and he died. Puzzle, strange, is the way I say to those who were the angels. Now, that's my idea of where the angels were when Jesus was crucified. They don't understand. And I'm not sure they still, I I don't even understand. But what you see taking place at the cross is God's saving, loving grace. Angels have never seen such a thing. nor have you and I really, people. The situation the angels were in, I think, is, is depicted way back in the Old Testament. Remember when God gave Moses the instructions to build a tabernacle? He said there would be one piece of furniture in the Holy of Holies called the Ark of the Covenant. It was kind of like a cedar chest box. Inside were the Ten Commandments given Moses and Aaron's rod. And at first a pot of manna. It had a little lid on it at the top, And that lid was called the mercy seat. Mercy seat. On each end of that lid was made out of gold. Two angels. They had their wings overspread like this. And their face looked down upon the top of the lid. Constantly. Called the mercy seat. And to the angels, the law says, death. That's the law. For breaking of the commandments. But once a year, a priest would come into that room. And they would tell him he would sprinkle blood upon that seat. And God would say, death canceled. Angels, no, no way, man. How? We understand this. you got to forgive them. Pardon them. And God was teaching the angels a little bit about grace. For out there in the courtyard, a, a lamb had been slaughtered, and that's where the blood came from. A little innocent lamb. As time goes on, God sends His own lamb to earth. It's called the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. But John said, Behold the Lamb of God. The angel surely got a clue right there. Hmm. Where have we seen this before? And on the cross was that little animal slain out there in the courtyard. That's the cross. And the blood is going to be used to forgive the sinner and cleanse. That's going to come from Jesus. That's the only way to. God can cleanse away sin is provided through the shed blood of Christ. Don't understand that. But God did send down his own sacrifice. That was his son. That was God. God the Son. He came down, he was crucified on that cross, he shed his blood, and God said, Through that shed blood, and through his death, I'll now be able to save the sinner and cancel out the death penalty. That puzzled the angels. In this crucifixion the angels learned some more wisdom about God they had not known. I ain't got time to I don't have time today to to go into this. I, I wrote about my little book on the rainbow. But God had two real problems. Number one, He wanted to take away sin, and He couldn't do it. Number two, God wanted to save man at the same time God had already promised He would be condemned. How could God not condemn a man He'd already condemned? How could He not punish one He'd already promised He'd punish? If He did not carry out His Word, He'd be a liar, and that would make Him a sinner. How could God's justice, which demands death to the sinner, be satisfied if the sinner got off? What could God do to save man? He'd already condemned him. How could He save him? He couldn't say, I forgive you, then he would be a liar. And the angels were amazed at the answer God came up with. The justice was satisfied with the answer. And that was, there will be death. No one will get off. There will be death. But it will be the death of an innocent substitute. He will die. And take the punishment due at the sinner. And with that innocent blood, I will wash away the sin. And since the debt has been paid by that substitute, I don't have to make him pay it twice. I'll let him go free. And the angel stood there. Why would you love the sinner that much? That you'd let your own son take the torments of hell. Just why would you love him that much? Now, people, I can't answer that question. Nor can you. And the angels still scratch their head. Why would God love His enemy that much? I don't know. I don't know. I cannot answer my question. Our imagination runs wild at times, but I'll tell you why He would care that much. Why He would endure that much suffering. You and I, folks, have no con i stick a thorn in my hand and I'll jump all over the floor. No. Or i splinter. I have a hissy fit. Can you feature Thorns and nails and whips and beatings. I mean, that man was full. And that is nothing. I mean, that is nothing compared to what he endured in his spirit and soul on that cross, which people will endure in the torments of hell forever. We don't know nothing about that. Which would be a thousand million times worse than the thorns on his brow and the nails in his hands. That's physical pain. We're talking about spiritual pain. No, why would he go through all that? The torment that he's going to place upon those who are wicked, why would he go through? I don't know. Well, we call it grace. But I can't understand God having that much grace. But he did. And the angels like to look at this mystery. Because we're a real puzzle to them. A real puzzle. And you can understand their background. God has done for man what he would not do for angels. Why? It is a Silence. Total suffering. And God says, I just chose to do it. Why? And there is no answer. Why does God love wicked man? That much? I don't know. But He does. That's the good news. He does. And He proved it by going to the cross and providing for us in the resurrection a Savior. Everybody just about turn up to turn out for church next Sunday. You see, they, they come out for Christmas because uh, they like the idea of the gifts. And they come out of Easter because, again; they get the gift of life. But, but you see, this this Sunday, you make them think about sin and death and hell and that which Christ had to suffer. And they don't want to hear this; they don't think about this. They just say, "Let's go from Easter to let's go from Christmas to Easter. Let's just skip the gory details of Calvary." Can't do that. Can't do that because it's those who accept Jesus Christ only as their Lord and Savior that are going to have an Easter. I guarantee you. That's the only ones. Only ones. But that we will have an Easter is an amazing fact. I do not understand. I the angels. I don't understand it. Why should He love us that much? Father, we're thankful this day for sending Your Son. We're thankful for His willingness to come. We're thankful, of course, for His substitutionary death in our place. And then thankful He's come and called us and given us the chance to accept Him as our Lord and Savior and thus allowing Him to give us His eternal life. For all these things, we are thankful, and especially for Your grace that You show upon us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.